Good evening. <laughs> it's good to have this number back out with us for our second half of our worship service. And the reason why Danny said, Jeremy, I was in the middle yawn by the time he looked up. And I think my nap got interrupted for some reason, right? <laughs> they all pick at me because I, I don't take no naps. And I try to take one, it gets interrupted. <laughs> well, welcome back. So tonight we're going to be uh, we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to begin, and we're going to read through as I usually do and go verse by verse and step through like an expository sermon would, would, would be. So if you have your Bibles, be opening up there with me. There are three type, uh, three classifications here, or not classifications, three areas we need to look at, all falling under someone who is in Christ. The first one is, first off, to suffer in the flesh, or not to, not to suffer in the flesh, to realize Christ suffered for us in the flesh and on the cross and gone on to the glory that God has bestowed upon him. Where he is at right now at the right hand of God. The second one being serving for God's glory. And the third and final is suffering for God's glory. Now whenever we think of Christ, we think of who he was, what type of person he was, and, and the person who we are supposed to be today. So when we pick up in 1 Peter chapter 4, begin reading in the first verse. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. All right, we'll stop there for just a second. As I said before, the first classifications, uh, classifications, why do I keep calling classifications? The topic or the thought it will be for Christ's suffering and our suffering. Well, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, and the, the things that he endured, we are going to have to endure these same things. So, verse 1 tells us that Christ suffered in the flesh for us. So we need to arm ourselves with the same mind. What mind? Christ's mind. Christ had a godly mind. Whenever he uh, was out there in the world, as we understand through the scriptures and the gospels more, more explicitly, he helped individuals he come in contact with. He helped individuals he didn't even come in contact with. He helped individuals... Who were afar off. Even unto this day, he's helping folks. Today, we need to remember who Christ was. Tomorrow, we need to remember who Christ was. And so forth and so forth. He was a godly person. He was God himself. So today, whenever we arm ourselves with the same mind, we need to have that godly mind that Christ had. Well, there's only one way we're going to get there. Christ had a leg up for us. He was God. He was able to have foresight. He was able to, to have the, the knowledge and the sight of men's hearts, women's hearts, was able to understand who they were. He had that knowledge. Today, we don't have that type of knowledge. We get that knowledge through studying. We get that knowledge through diving into the Scriptures, and it's opened up unto us through our studies. Now, when I say study the Word, I don't mean just read it. There is a difference, as we are aware of that. There is a difference between studying and reading. Whenever you read the scripture, you just read through it. You read the words and you're stringing them together, but then when you study them, you bring about the meanings of those words. Those words are there for a purpose. They're, they're there for our understanding. The Old Testament is there for our understanding, and the New Testament is there for our understanding and our obedience. Notice verse, four, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 also says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, let's think about the idea of cease. Cease means to stop. 
Cease means to no longer carry on. Cease means to stop doing the things that's displeasing in the eyes of God in the context of this verse. Cease from sin. Well, my mind goes to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. The question, of course, there, why don't we just help God's glory and His grace out by sinning more? Uh, certainly not. Of course, that's what Paul says. So how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We cease from sin as we have been baptized for the remission of sins. When we arm ourselves with the same mind Christ had, we should have that type of mind, right? We should have that spiritual sponge like we had this morning. Someone who is of the spirit, not of the flesh. Because someone who is of the flesh cannot please God. Tonight, I want us to look into ourselves. Or look at ourselves, spiritually speaking. And ask, answer this question truthfully. Have you ceased from sin? I hope so. Because if we have not ceased from sin, we have not armed ourselves with the same mind Christ had. And hasn't to this day. He had a mind, mindset of not sinning. He came to this earth, put on flesh. Remember, he condemned sin in the flesh when he came to this earth. And he gave us that perfect example. He gave us the way that we should live. He gave us that. And that's up to us as individuals to be obedient to those instructions, of course. And in verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's us. That's us as Christians. No longer living of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Ah, right in hand in hand here with this morning but for the will of God. The will of God is to have no one to be lost on Judgment Day. That's what God wishes. That's, that's, his, that's, that's his want. Unfortunately, through sinful acts, we tie his hands. A lot, of, a lot of folks will say, well, God left me. God didn't leave. He did not go anywhere. You left him. What happened to old Lucifer? We made mention of him this morning. What happened to old Lucifer? God didn't leave heaven. God cast Lucifer out. He was banished. He was no longer having access into heaven because of his sin. He was not being of the will of God. And in verse 3, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drinkenness, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Listen to verse 3 very carefully. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in sin. You can put sin there and make it short. Sin. Our past lifetime before we were baptized for the remission of those sins or the sins that we were conducting ourselves in, we were guilty of, when we were baptized for the remission of those, that time spent, Paul considers it done. We realize that? He considers it waste. He considers it uselessness in the eyes of God because he was not participating in a, in a matter that was pleasing to God. You remember what Christ told him on the road to Damascus? Christ came to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me? He says, me, not the church. He says, me. There's a little bit of wake-up call for Paul if, you, if you're understanding uh, Paul as we know him today was then Saul, the persecutor of the church. The persecutor of Christ. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in, in doing sin. 
and participating in sin and separating ourselves from God. Those past days we've lived in those dark times, consider them gone. We don't need to pick those bad habits up, if you will, because those are bad habits. We can't pick those up and take them with us in our spiritual walk with God. That was not going to happen. God and sin can't dwell in the same place. We need to purge the sins out of our heart so we can allow Him to be in there. Because if we don't purge the sins out of our heart, there's no room for God. So let's make sure we get those bad habits or sinful things that we used to participate in because we spent enough time doing that in our past lifetime. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Whenever you're convinced without a shadow of a doubt that what you need to do is change your old <laughs> sinful person, me, me explicitly, I can look back and see old Jeremy the way he used to be. I, I just look at him now and shake my head. What do you do? What are you doing? Now I know better. God has revealed it to me through his word. Through our Bible class and through instructions of faithful Christians, they, they've revealed it unto me. What you're doing is wrong. Change. So now I change. I don't participate in those things anymore. Back then they thought it was strange that this change has happened. You're no longer going with us through our drinking parties. You're not talking bad about anybody. You're not participating in this gossip that we used to participate in. No, I don't. Because it's sinful. It's displeasing in the eyes of God. Consider that dumb. That's, that's old Jeremy. No longer participating in sinful things. Now I have an idea of hope. I've been promised salvation as I remain faithful. And that's for everyone who's faithful. I said I was going to get personal. That's me. You included. He promises salvation, folks. He promises an e eternal life with him. But those folks who don't see it that way, they think it's strange. They think it's odd that you don't do the things that you used to do. What, what caused you to change? God did. We can see that, that status, or not status, the thoughts of those outside of Christ or outside of God, those who are lost, looking at folks who are saved and kind of confused. Why would you do that? Why would you not participate in fun in the world? Because that fun that you consider as fun is sin. And I know that sin will condemn me on judgment day. And book, chapter, and verse of that was going to be Hebrews 10, verse 26. To know that we can't participate in sin after we've been baptized for the remission of sins because we need that sacrifice for our sins. We need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ every single day. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now this living and the dead is someone who is dead spiritually and living spiritually. He's ready to judge. He's ready to stand before each and every one of us in the whole world. Ooh, I couldn't imagine doing that. Having, meeting with everyone to say, condemned, saved, condemned, saved. That's Christ's duty. He has to do it. The lifestyle that we live, we need to make sure that we are ready to stand before God and Christ is given account of the things that we've done. 
to hear that wonderful saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's that servant who was faithful over a few things and was made a master over many. And that thought, that, that the, the phrase that carries that thought on in that parable is well done, good and faithful servant. It says it twice. Christ is ready to judge the living and the dead. My question for you this evening at this point in time in this lesson, are you alive spiritually or are you dead spiritually? Because you can either be one or the other. You cannot be both at the same time. So therefore, if God is ready to judge those who are thinking of you ill, looking at you funny, they will have a given account of their lifestyle. Verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. For this reason the gospel was preached to dead men, the gospel was preached to those who didn't even consider God. It was preached to them that they might have an opportunity of salvation, that they might live, but live according to God in the Spirit. Remember this morning, flesh and spirit contrary to one another, being in the flesh, wearing sin, being a sinner, being those who are lost, of the dead spiritual status is an enmity. Well, you put yourself in enmity with God. Here we see this. This opportunity was preached just as it was preached to you and I at one point in our lives. And we heard the gospel. And we had an opportunity to respond to that gospel. When I, when I say respond to that gospel, we changed our ways. We changed the way that we think. We changed the way we speak. And I don't, I don't mean it's magic. I do not mean it's magic. It's work. It's difficult to make that change. It's supposed to be difficult because I can remember, what, 10 years ago? We'll say 15 years ago to be safe. I can remember that guy, who I used to be. Would I want to go back to him? No, sir, and no, ma'ams, I would not because old Jeremy was lost. He was dead in his sins. And that applies to each and every one of us. We were at one point in our lives dead in sins. But now we're not. As we have Christ in our hearts, we're continuously steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord, steadfast and moving toward that promise of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Folks, that's what hope is all about. The hope of an everlasting promise from God. It was preached to us just as it was to those that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. I am thankful it was preached to us. I am thankful the gospel till, still continues today. Because as Paul said at, at, the end of, at the end of his life, for me to live is Christ. For him to live is Christ, saying as he is still upon this earth, he is going to do his very best with the tools God gave him to preach, to teach, to encourage to admonish, to lift those up who are in need. Does that sound familiar? That sounds a whole lot like Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. And of course he continues that thought on, but to die is gain. But he knew as he was going to be upon this earth, he was going to continue to stay steadfastly teaching and preaching the gospel to those who wanted to hear it 
And those who did not want to hear it. He also, Paul, also commended Timothy to preach the word in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort. Wow. Teaching them to observe the things that Christ would have us to observe. That's what he told Timothy. He tells us that as well. Because we might think of ourselves as Christians, but out there in the world we're teachers. We're teachers. We show people who Christ looks like by our examples, by the way that we conduct ourselves. What if we're doing it in an ungodly manner? What? Don't brother so-and-so go to Booth Chapel Church of Christ? Well, I think they do. Look how they're behaving. They're not behaving any better than I am. They're saying all these big words, and I'm not saying any of y'all do this. I'm using it as an example. So this person sees this Christian with the quotations behaving in an ungodly manner. Why do I got to go to church? Why do I got to be obedient to that? Why do I got to follow the gospel? Because this person's considered saved, and they're not, folks. That's misrepresentation of God. How many of us are going to stand before him and have to give an account to that? No, sir. No, ma'am. I would not. Because that outcome would be grave. We've, been heard, we've heard about that greater condemnation. We would be causing someone to stumble by our misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. So let's make sure we understand what he would have us to do. He gave us our examples. Let's make sure we dive into the word and find out what he would have us to do. Again, removing nothing and adding nothing. Verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. But the end of all things is at hand. What is that saying? The end is drawing near. We've also been told, uh, book, chapter, and verse just escaped me, for salvation is nearer now than when you first believe. I can't book, chapter, verse, it just escaped me. Same goes here. But the end of all things is at hand. It's near. It's coming. Again, we don't know when it's coming, but it's a rapidly approaching. It's rapidly approaching. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. What does it mean to be watchful? Take notice. Take notice what needs to be prayed for. Be watchful. Be aware of the things that's going on around you. Pray for the things that God would have you to pray for. Whenever we learn of instruction of our prayer life, to pray in Christ's name. Yes, many of us speak those words at the end of a prayer, but it's not the words that we speak. That is not the words that we speak to speak, to pray in the name of Christ. It's to pray according to God's will. Yes, we're talking through God to get to we're talking through Christ to get to God. I understand that. But we've also had our examples on how to pray. We made this example in Bible class. It's been a good while ago, but I'm going to use it again in this sermon. What if I was to pray to be a millionaire? Would that be in praying in Christ's name? It wouldn't be, would it? It would not. What about if I pray for the sick to be healed? What if I pray for someone to come back to, his, to, to the fold, that is the church, what if I prayed for that lost soul to be awakened? Is that praying in Christ's name? Most assuredly. See the difference? Selflessness. I pray for that person. A whole lot faster than I would pray for myself. And yes, most assuredly, we need to pray for ourselves. How often do we pray for ourselves? Let me ask that. I hope so often. 
Because we've got to ask for that forgiveness. If you ask anything in my name, it will be given unto you. Is what Christ tells us. So we need to pray for ourselves as well. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, above all things, gonna, Paul is holding this higher. He, from the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the foreknowledge of it, he says, have fervent love for one another. He holds that higher. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now let's look at that word love. Let's, let's look at the idea of fervent love. We got a little bit of an example of this a few minutes ago. We, we, we realize that Christ showed us love. How did he show us love? By going to the cross for us. That's how Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, showed us love. He gave his life for us. How are we giving our time? Are we showing love for those individuals who are out there in the world? Showing them who Christ was? Telling them about Jesus Christ? I seriously hope so. Every opportunity that we have, God opens that door. It's up to us to make that decision to go through it. Because some doors close. We can see that opportunity happen all the time. When the door's opened, and we make the choice whether or not to go through that door or not. But to have that fervent love, the fervent love, remember the word fervent? Remember a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that furnace that they were stowed into? That furnace was exceedingly fervent hot. That, that was the word, the fervent heat. That heat was so hot that those three men, was it three men or two men that was cast? Those men that cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can't remember if it was two, I think it was two, that was thrown them into the furnace, they perished because they just got close enough to be around it, to put them in. They perished, they died because it was a fervent heat. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Lord, the image was there in the likeness of the Lord, was in there walking around. Their, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. I don't know if that's the power of God. Just, just portray that for a second. How many of y'all have been burning leaves and you go in the house, you smell like smoke? Your, your, your wife is going to come in and look at you and say, you smell horrible. I've been burning leaves. I got my, my clothes smell like smoke. And you put them in the hamper and go take a shower. Here is three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was cast into this furnace to an exceeding, the word exceeding there, or fervent, excuse me, fervent is there. And they was walking around in that furnace like there was nothing going on. By the power of God, they were saved. Enough, moving on. I got sidetracked a little bit about the idea of fervent and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm, I'm excited about that story. So be hospitable toward one another in verse 9 without grumbling. Hospitable. You know how to be hospitable? Consider your neighbor before yourself. Be hospitable. Be ready to admonish and administer unto your neighbor. Who's your neighbor, by the way? Everybody you come in contact with. Without grumbling is their own purpose. Without grumbling. You know without grumbling? Here's an example of grumbling. I'm going to use... Brother Daniel there, right? I'm going to use Brother Daniel as, a, as an example. And I see Daniel over there, he's struggling with something. I don't even know what I considered him struggling with. And I go to him and says, Daniel, we need to work on this. Let me, let me help you out. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, I can't believe he can't get this. Why don't, why don't we just get his act together and get it right? I can do it with my eyes closed. Is that grumbling? Yes, it is. That is not the idea of love. 
The idea of love would be to lift Daniel up with that act, to help him out in that time of need, to lift him up, to help my brother in need, and also my nephew in need. See the difference? Our mindset, that idea of grumbling, oh, I can't believe I'm having to do this. No, that is not the idea of an unprofitable servant. Remember the unprofitable servant? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Think about your gift. You might be thinking in the back of your mind, well, I got the short end of that stick when I received the gifts. God has given you a gift. I seriously hope you have found that gift. Many of us have multiple gifts. Many of us have just one gift. Are we using that gift to the glory of God? Because guess who gave us that gift? God. He gave us that gift. Why would we not use it to glorify Him? He gave us that tool. Why don't we use it for Him? Many folks in this day and age do not. They use it for the glory of Satan instead. We need to make sure we're not using it for the glory of Satan. We need to make sure we're not the instruments of right, unrighteous that we're going to talk about at the end of this lesson. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God in verse 11. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability of which God supplies, and that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. The things that we do. Do we do it for the glory of God? Yes, we have assembled on this Lord's Day twice now already. We, did we do it for the glory of God? I hope so. Tomorrow is Labor Day. I have to go in and work. You may not. I will say this. Do it for the glory of God, all that you do. Because as we learn in Romans, as we're finishing up Romans chapter 14, I believe it's Romans chapter 14 that we're in. Whenever we learn about living and dying to ourselves, we do not. Romans chapter 14 and verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Are you part of that manifold grace of God? I've used the manifold grace of God where everybody's using their talents to glorify one thing. This one thing needs to be God in our spiritual lives. So many today are glorifying Satan in the talents that they have been given. But we're talking about the glory of God. Are we using it? Because each and every one of us have different talents. We have different abilities. We have different things that God has allowed us to have and to use. We need to make sure we're glorifying God in that act. So as God through Christ can be exalted, so it can be glorified. So now, turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> but concerning the times in verse 1 and seasons, brethren, you should have, need, I should have no need that I should write to you. But for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So when you say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon it as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. 
But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love and as a helmet of the as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Let's stop there in the 11th verse. Notice what, you notice what it said by Paul here. He said the, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Those who know it's coming, it's not going to come upon you unexpectedly like the labor pains of a pregnant woman. All of a sudden, bang, those labor pains are there and we're going through labor. It was unexpected. Many folks are unaware of the grave danger that they are in because they are not in the Lord. They have yet to res respond to the gospel. As you and I have done so, therefore it's not going to come upon us as something that's unexpected. We know it's coming. We are aware of it. And if you are not aware of it, you're aware of it now. It's coming. So therefore, whenever verse 10 says, "For who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Those who have preceded us in death and those who remain on that day will be called together and we shall live with him in eternity. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound wonderful to abide with God in heaven for an eternity? That should make us stray away from our sins. That should make us strive to be that Christian who we should be. Because if we're not striving, we're, we're, if we're not striving, we're striving for Satan. Let's make sure that we are not striving for Satan because Satan can't promise us one thing. Only God can encourage us, excuse me, only God can give us that promise of everlasting life. And my bookmark has moved out of Instruments of Righteousness, and I thought I had it right there. I do not. Now, I will say this before I close. We can only be two types of instruments, that being a workmanship. We can either be a worker of God or a worker of Satan. We can have that carnal mind or we can have that spiritual mind, as we made mention of this morning. In Romans chapter 8. I want to encourage something. Being an instrument of righteousness. In the days to come. As the, as the months follow. As the days come by. As, as the years and go by. Remain faithful. Unto death. And God promises us something significant. We need to take it to heart. He promises us that crown of life. He promises everlasting life. He promises salvation from the fall. He promises us heaven. Christ referred to it as paradise on the cross. Now it's the Hayden world, but after that it's heaven. Have we took that to heart? Because as we are instruments of righteousness, that doing right in the eyes of God in our everyday walk of life, until we pass or until Christ comes back, folks, that crown of life sounds better and better every single day. Because we can look around and see the works of Satan. We can see the destruction. We can see the, the hate. We can see the absence of love. 
We can see folks treating one another horribly. As a child of God, we would never do that. Because Jesus Christ would never treat anybody like that. He showed love, he showed compassion, and he showed it every single day. Do we need to be more like Christ? Most assuredly. This is an encouraging word to be like Christ more today than you were yesterday and be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. In doing so, it's going to be expounded or compounded rather. And you'll be more and more like Christ every single day. Is it a struggle? Most assuredly it is. It's going to be difficult because that straight gate, S-T-R-A-I-T, is difficult. It leads to everlasting life. Folks, that's a narrow one as well because we have a pathway to follow. We have some footsteps to follow along behind. That's Jesus Christ. As he encourages his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. That's if and only if you are seeking him. I encourage to seek him. Don't stop looking until you find him. Because once you find him, as he comes and he shows himself to you in his glory, if you are faithful, if you're seeking, all tears will be wiped away. And that sounds warm and encouraging to me. I hope it does to you. Enough to repent of your sins as soon as you have them. Do not let the sun set on your wrath as the sun sets low today. Do you need to turn away from your sins today? Let's do so. So as God can restore us. So as we can have that idea of hope. Have a wonderful blessing of peace. Does that need to be restored tonight? Why don't we do so as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation.